0: study or look at uh, the the beginning of the book of of Acts, and we've kind of been asking a real simple question, uh, as as a a new uh, fledgling church plant, uh, what does it look like, how how does this get done, and we wanted to go back to the very beginning of when the church started, and so, uh, and we saw that it was the empowering of God's spirit uh, that really was what made it happen. It wasn't strategy, it wasn't planning, it wasn't vision, it wasn't all the things that we've talked a lot about, which are indeed important, but it was really God's power pouring out into his people, and then the results thereof, and so we've been going through that, and uh, we are now in uh, in the, the uh, really chapter 7 today, and so if you would turn your, book, uh, your Bibles or phones or tablets or whatever to uh, the book of Acts, to chapter uh, 7, and uh, we're actually going to skip a section, but just real quickly, uh, if you just remind you guys that last week we talked about a really exciting topic um, uh, organizational systems. Remember how exciting that was? It was just uh, uh, tantalizing. Woo, good stuff. But how important they were, and how, you know, sometimes God, we saw God like really works in these amazing, miraculous ways, and sometimes He just works in really mundane ways. And the, but the importance that having uh, chosen these uh, deacons, these seven men that would serve and help um, manage the church, how important that was and how the was beginning to, and how God, the enemy would love for division to happen in the church, but how God used an organizational system uh, to bring unity and, and to continue bringing the word forth in the church. And so talked about how even Vintage Grace, as we grow, we will need to have organizational systems. As much as for some of us, like me, you know, start talking about organization and systems, and you start talking about spreadsheets and charts and that kind of stuff. I'm like, see you later. My wife gets excited. You know, she she starts to perk up when you start talking about that kind of stuff, and that's the difference of it. So, um, so, but in that, one of these deacons was chosen, was named Stephen, and Stephen, right after this, we see gets involved in some uh, uh, evangelism with some people and they eventually seize him and arrest him, okay? And he's been arrested, and he speaks out, and he speaks an amazing sermon, which we're going to skip today. I, I, it's because, okay? Now, go back and read it. It's so good. It's like, if you want to see the story of the entire Bible, read his sermon right here, his speech to them, okay? It's so good. But we're going to pick up in uh, verse 54. because so I want to look at uh, what happens to him, okay? So starting in verse 54 says this, now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. So he's preached the gospel to them, and they didn't like it. And and they ground their teeth at him. And he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen. And he called out, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak through your word this morning. I pray that you would um, speak through this broken vessel. Because certainly nobody came to hear Russell talk. Nobody came to hear my ideas Nobody came to hear my thoughts. They came to hear from you. And so, Lord, speak through me, this broken vessel this morning. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what is your view of success? What is is failure to you? I think the question of success and failure in our lives are two of the most important questions you can ask in your life. What is success? What is failure? When you see this uh, martyrdom, this stoning to death of Stephen, I think we are faced with the question, what is success? What is failure? Okay? Um, And so uh, Stephen's death challenges us to question our basic notions of success and failure. But think about our culture Success, in our culture today, success means everything. It is so important. It is so valuable. And, and so on the one hand, success is like big. On the other hand, failure is like gawked at. It's looked at, you know, shamefully. It is, you know, so for example, we love in our culture success story. You know, we love to watch the stories, rags to riches kind of stories, right? We, we love stories like Rocky, especially the, the Rocky movies when he actually wins in the end. You know, you ever notice Rocky doesn't win? No, uh, spoiler alert there. OK, but we love those kind of movies. We love like we love stories of like poor little kids from India who make it rich, you know, who make it famous. You know, they they have this success and whatever. We love stories like that. It's kind of deep within us as a culture. If you want to sell movies, sell a story of somebody who's down and out, doesn't have things going for them, and then they win in the end, and it's all great, right? And everybody goes home happy, their belly's full of popcorn and cheap soda, right? And so, but on the other hand, we also love to gawk at failure. We love it. Like, just do a, a YouTube search, fail, and you will find thousands of videos. Search even better. Epic fail and you'll find even more, you know what I'm saying and my favorite my favorite YouTube fail videos are the redneck fail videos because they're, they're, there's just thousands of them of like dumb rednecks who are you know inebriated on cheap beer are you know attempting to do stupid things, you know, like try to you know drive their lawnmower across the, a pond or something you know there's always or you know use a rope and a motorcycle together hanging from a tree this doesn't usually turn out very good. You kind of know what's going to happen. It's going to be a fail. And we love that, right? We love watching people fail sometimes. We love gawking at it. So it's kind of a perverse, critical. On the one hand, we love success, and it drives us, and that's what we laud and praise or whatever. But we kind of enjoy watching others fail. But what about you? What happens when we fail? What happens to us? You know? Um, but we love success and failing. But this weird side of us loves success. To gawk at others. It reminds me of uh, Saturday Night Live. Do y'all remember Jack Handy's deep thoughts? There's one that stuck in my head. It was like, he's, Jack Handy, he's like, deep thoughts. He's like, one day I was looking out the window, and I saw an old lady fall down on the sidewalk. And my first instinct was to laugh. Then I thought to myself, if I was a little bitty ant, and she fell on me, it wouldn't be very funny after all. Jack Handys, deep thoughts. Right? We think it's funny until, well, what if that was me? Right? We think it's, we gawk at people that fail until it's us. So, you know, so then we're kind of faced with, when you come to this point in in the book of Acts, we're faced with the stoning of, of, of Stephen. We are faced with the question, what is failure? What is success? And so I want to take a look at this story together. And uh, I want to do it in three ways. I want to look at the setting, what it meant for the church at the time, and what it means for us. That's pretty simple, right? So let's take a look at the setting here. All right? Let's think about what's happening here in the church, okay? You know, Jesus ascends to heaven, and the power of the Spirit pours out onto the church, and things are rocking. This church is booming. This is the model, the picture of success for a church, and a new church plant. This is is textbook stuff. If you're in church planning training or whatever, they they take you to these early chapters. right? This growing by leaps and bounds. People are experiencing the power and presence of God. People are experiencing community and love and generosity like never before. And uh, people are being healed. The poor are being fed. It is awesome. It's like cool stuff. And then, even in the face of outright opposition, they're being arrested, and all the stuffs going on, internal strife and resistance, things going on within. You know, the church continues to be flourishing up to this point. So, I mean, this is textbook stuff. Okay, now, but I want I want us to look at this story where we come here in chapter seven. Let's look at it from their perspective. Look at it from their vantage point because they don't know the end of the story. They don't know what happens to the church. So it's easy for us, you know, we're reading this and we know what happens. Okay, we know the church continues on because we're still reading this stuff, right? So we kind of know. But what if what if you put, stepped into their shoes? And all of a sudden, you know, everything's going well, even though there's resistance and opposition and all this other stuff, but things are going well. And even in the face of that, the church is growing and thirsting, whatever. And then, let's, let's look at it, okay? Okay. They, they didn't know that the church would go on to change the whole world, and so here, they choose some new leaders. We saw this in chapter uh, six. Okay, they choose uh, seven guys, and one of them shows amazing promise. Let, let's look at Stephen. Okay, so this organ they create this organizational system, you know, and so it, no, and the, instead of a miracle, they they appoint a committee, right? And God, one of these guys really shows amazing leadership promise. He's gonna be the future of the church. Look how he's describes describes. Okay? First of all, he's a servant. He's he's willing to jump in and help distribute food and, and whatever to these widows. This dude's willing to get down like Jesus and wash the feet of others. Let me tell you, you want a good leader? See if he'll serve. You know one thing for somebody who's a want like uh, a claim, want, you know, uh, be noticed, and those kind of those, you know, the, what the type of leaders we want at his Grace are people that are going to first serve, willing to serve other people. So that's, okay, so he's willing to serve the widows. Okay, secondly, he's described as being of good repute, he's got a good character. And then he's also described as being full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. So he's, he's uh, got, and he's wise, he's of good repute. So this guy's got character, okay? I mean, if you want to go down a list of good characteristics for a leader, right? Okay, he's also described as being full of faith in the Holy Spirit. So he's a man of faith. He's, he's, trusting, he's trusting what God has done for him in Jesus Christ. He's placed his life in the trust of God on himself, right? But he's also described... Okay, This is all in chapter 6, as doing great wonders and signs among the people. So God is really blessing his ministry. And God is using him. People are beginning to see amazing things through him. Okay, And right away, we see him going above and beyond. And he's engaging uh, evangelistically with people who oppose the church. So he's out there. He's putting his neck on the line. And here's this guy. All this promise, all this amazing things about this leader, He's the future of the church. This guy's got promise. And then he's stoned, he stoned to death. He's dragged out into the open, and they start to beat him with rocks until he dies. Now, it's easy for us to look back on this and say, oh man, you know, that was, you know, what a sacrifice, whatever, whatever. Okay? But at the time, can you imagine what the church must have be been thinking? Can you imagine their perspective? They would have thought this, not anything great. They would have been thinking this is a tragedy. This is horrible. Now, we've, we've, as a little church plant, we've faced some losses. We've had people leave the church. Some of them have left because they didn't like what we were doing. Some of them, you know, have left because of sin in their lives or whatever, these kind of things. And every one of those, we have talked about this, have been painful, hard. Been rough to go through those things, and even when people are just moved, <laughs> nobody here has been stoned to death yet. Let's just put, it, let's just be real. Yeah, y'all like the word yet? <laughs> I'm, hey, sometimes with these oak leaf residence pages, I wonder, man, they're going to be stoning somebody. You got to put yourself in their shoes. They're thinking this ain't good. This must mean failure. So what did it mean for the early church what did what did it mean for them all right and, and at the time it had to have seemed like a terrible setback a tragedy okay many and and my, or maybe as we read it through it and this is how i've read it it's like a little hiccup you know just a little speed bump you know ah, one guy come in right like this one little dude it's like a little speed bump down the road there you know not a big deal What did it mean? You know what I mean? They had to have been, like, freaking out. I'm just going to put it where I would have been. I would have been, like, running around, like, in panic mode. You're like, ah, what are we going to do? You know, that kind of thing. They must have been doing that kind of thing. You know, like, you ever see somebody panic? They don't know what to do. They just kind of run around, do nothing. That's kind of what I would be, right? But what you got to realize here, this was no hiccup. This was no failure. God had his hand on this. This was all a part of his plan, all a part of his sovereign plan. Okay? No, notice what it meant for the, for the church. Okay? Many things, maybe just a hiccup, a speed bump. Okay, But this, this part of Acts, it was, a, it was the stoning here, and this beginning of what... This was actually the beginning of the first persecution of the church. And persecution is when people who oppose Christians, oppose the Christian message, actively seek out to harm, to do damage, or even kill Christians in an attempt to stop it. And this is one of many that have gone on over the thousands of years, and actually one of many that are continuing to happen today. There is persecution hitting the church, right now as we speak in Syria and Egypt and Indonesia I mean ask Andrew he'll give you the list he's there he sees it it's Christians are losing their property their lives they're losing family members churches are being burned and you know that it's happening all over the world and this is the first persecution but look what happens for because of it okay this persecution is pivotal for the spreading of the gospel and this new church throughout the world. Y'all remember in chapter one of Acts where Jesus tells them and charges them, "I want you to be my witnesses." Where in Jerusalem, right? And they've done that really well. Thousands of people have heard the gospel. They have preached the gospel. Even the people who don't respond well have heard it now. Everybody in town's practically heard the gospel at this point. And so, but everybody's liking to be in the little Christian huddle thing. They're enjoying this thing that's happening. So let's just stay here, right? Let's just have our little Christian uh, cul-de-sac. Let's have our little Christian community here. We're just going to stay here and try to be as comfortable as we can. Well, this persecution makes that hard really fast, okay? And, but what we see here is that because of this persecution... It's beginning the persecution, which, as we see even in here, you see Saul, Paul, who's holding the coats of those that are throwing the stones. And he's approving of it, it says. And he, this is the catalyst for him. Get his name on the board, right? This is for him to be a real Jew. Man, like, I'm going to be a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He describes this later on in his writings. Okay, he So this is the beginning of a persecution And God has ordained it. He has designed it. Because Look what happens in in, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Pull this up for me here. If you you don't have to turn to it very quickly. It says this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judah and Samaria, except the apostles. So what happens here is a divine scattering of Christians into the next, sec- next phase of the process here. He said, what? I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And there's no period there. There's a comma. And it says, Jerusalem, Samaria, and the utter reaches of the world. Okay? And so, God is using this. God is using his persecution and it's for the church and for its good to spread them out so that the world would hear right and then we also know that God is going to use this guy Saul Saul isn't going to he's going to take it not just to Samaria to the next section the next region he is going to be the one taking it to the world but right now if you look at it from their perspective and even after his right after his conversion the church is like dude you've been trying to kill us we ain't you're not we're not hanging out with you right we're we're not you know whatever and you know but this guy was their enemy instead he would be the one that would take it however from their perspective at the moment this is a great failure this is a tragedy and this is a great enemy to the church what well, we're going to talk about Saul next week and what that and what what it means uh and how God can, can turn over even the worst sinners. Okay? But here we see uh, the church must have been thinking, this is horrible. So what does this mean for us then? What does this mean for us? Let me go back to that question I asked you. What is success? What is failure? You know, and we think about it as a church. I think about this, you know. I just on Fourth of July, we were out uh, enjoying Fourth of July, and some of my neighbors invited some of their friends from a much larger, much more "quote unquote" successful church. And let me, it, I love these guys, and most of, I know all of them. They're great people, I, you know. And we, we, I pray for them, but it bothers me. You know, I see their signs, I see their stuff on Facebook, and I think, man. We're not them. And some days I'm like, I'm because we are who we are, right? And I need to, as, uh, I've been encouraged by my coach, you know. He talks about swimming or uh, running. You know, stay in your lane. You know, it reminds me of the, um, it was uh, Michael Phelps and it was a French guy. I can't think of his name because he didn't win. Anyway, sorry. But anyway, he was like, all like, you know, harassing. He was like talking smack, you know, about... Michael Phelps and all this stuff. And during the race, he got smoked. But part of him he got smoked because the whole time, he's like looking over to see where Michael Phelps was. And unfortunately for him, he saw his feet, you know. But stay in your lane is whatever But I, you know, it gets into me because like, I want to be, part of me is like, I want the success thing. You know, people look at that and they think, it must be good. It must be a good thing because it looks successful, And our culture says, if you're successful and there's a lot of people there, then it must be the best possible thing. It must be good. It must be maybe God is doing something. Okay? But not always. Now, here's the thing. What about in your life? What is success and failure in your life? Now, most of us have had failures in our lives. Most of us have had disappointments. Most of us, some of us, have had pretty tough sorrows. Some of us have lost children. Some of us have lost jobs, found attain goals, broken relationships. What do we do with that stuff? If success is always winning, success is when all, things always go right, success is when you have victory, then what about those things? What do we do with those things? What do those things mean? Here's, here's the good news, guys. The good news of the Bible, the good news of what we call the gospel, is that if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've placed your hope and your trust in Him, and you've had, you've through faith, received what He has done for you on the cross, every failure, every setback, every disappointment, every sorrow and loss is designed by your heavenly Father to produce good, amazing good. And you, perhaps the people around you, it is for good. How do I know this? Because he tells us. Romans 8, 28 and 29, listen to this. For we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. How many things? Some things, the victorious things, the happy things, the good things, the feel good things. You know, we we were talking about this earlier. You know, we, we we were singing a song. Hey, God, fill us, fill your presence in this place, right? Hey, your Holy Spirit, fill this place. Let me tell you, when in the throughout the Bible, that is not always a feel good thing. And I was, I was just thinking, as we were singing that song, uh, are we sure we, we know what we're asking for here? Because if you go back to, like, Isaiah, when Isaiah was faced in the presence of God, he, he thought he was destroyed. He said, woe is me, you know? And, you know, there's a sense of dread and horror in the presence of a holy, powerful, infinite God. You know, if God was really fill his presence, fill this place with his presence, we might be all running for the exit. You know, jumping out the windows and stuff. You know what I'm saying? But all things are not always this good. These all things, all things, everything, good and bad, God has promised. The God of the universe has promised that it would be for good. What is good? Now, we can redefine that, too. Good might be what feels good. It might be the victory. It might be so on. No. Go on in verse 29. It says, For for those he foreknew, he also predestined, here it is, to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So in other words, the good is this, that we would become more and more like Jesus. So, everything in our lives, He has designed that we might look more and more like the beautiful Son of God, Jesus himself. That is the good news. But here's a challenging question for you. Here's here's the challenge of the day. Let's put it this way. and Maybe even for a church, okay? Are we living for the quote-unquote successes of this life? I'm going to be honest with you. I do sometimes. I think... I think, man, how do I make my life less stressful, less confusing, less hard? How do I have the comfort? I was just thinking about this on 4th July as well, you know, as we were getting ready for that, and I'm watching people on TV and stuff. And I'm just like, you know, Americans live for a day like 4th July, right? What do we do? Because we want to go lay around somewhere near some water, eat a bunch of fattening food, drink some you know, alcohol or you know, sugared up drinks, and watch fireworks. It is like the epitome of comfort and leisure, right? You know, uh, and and we just think that's what American independence is about, right? The pursuit of happiness. But and so we're we're all going from we're just fighting for success to success to success in our lives. Want to make some more money? Want to have that new house? I want my kids to turn out okay. I want you know, I want success. But then, what do we do with the failures? Hear me ask you a question. If all you are living for in this life, what happens if it doesn't become a success? You're just going to be gawked at? People going to make a YouTube video of you? Right? No in Christ, we know there is a greater success beyond this life. But if your life is all about the success of this life, get the Prozac out. Let's get some antidepressants going. Come on, right? It is a recipe for despair or medicating. And that's what of July is about anyway, right? Let's just check out for the day because we got the day off and watch some fireworks. So what is success? You know, I I, I told you, what is success for the church? You know, and the reality is, it's not always what we think it is. Failure is not always what we think it is. There's an amazing uh, story of five men who, uh, who did what the world thought was just a waste. Foolish. Five men, two of which were Jim Elliot and Nate Saint. Maybe you've heard this story, but these five men felt called by God to take um, the gospel to an, unheard, an unknown, unreached group of uh, South American natives. At the time, they called them the Aka Indians. Can't remember their name, their real name, but uh, these men wanted to bring the gospel to them. They didn't have it, so they began to prepare to try to meet up with this tribe and uh, bring the gospel to them. However, though, <clears throat> that could be really a dangerous thing. These tribes could be very hostile. And so they began the process, and they began to, uh, try, to, bring, to try to make contact with them. So they would fly their plane or, uh, over where these uh, Indians lived, and they would drop good things out to them, and food or gifts and things like that. And they would drop a bucket, and, and these Indians would in, in return, would give them gifts. I think one of the gifts was a parrot or something like that. And so they began to think, okay, this is good. We're making a good relationship. So they landed uh, um, their plane, and they began to camp out just outside of the, the region where these uh, Indians consider their territory. And they actually made contact with one of the Indian men um, and uh, two, two of women that were with him, or a young girl, a lady and a young girl. And it was a great, they, you know, they were talking, they were trying to, they were showing a model of the plane, they were trying to, you know, get some word, they were kind of beginning to try to pick up some of the language, and these uh, Indians uh, went back, and that, and that night they camped, and they, just, they, they at that point, decided, okay, we're going to go, and we're going to try to bring the gospel to these people, and they had discussions together, okay, are we willing to lay our lives down? And they all, several of them had uh, handguns. And they had the discussion, if they get aggressive, are we going to use these guns? And they decided, no. It would be better for us to die and go to heaven and them die and not go to heaven. And so, uh, they went and immediately, as soon as they had contact that next morning, immediately, All five of them were speared to death. One of the Indians later uh, said that one of their last words was, why are you killing us? They were trying to scream out, why are you killing us? And I think two or three of the guys were speared to death with a pistol in their pocket. Now the world saw that and said, that is a waste. That is... Is a tragedy. The news headlines were talking about it and saying this is this couldn't possibly be anything good. What a waste! These five men with great promise, you know, had great had families. If you, if you watch, I encourage you to go watch uh, the movie version of this event. It's called the uh, End of the Spear. Okay, and uh, and it's and it's told and produced by the uh, by the son of one of the guys, Nate Saint. His son, Steve. And in the movie, this this part really got me. In the movie, you see some of the events from the perspective of this son, who's a little boy. And and as you watch him, and he's over here in conversations, and he's saying goodbye to his dad, you know what's going to happen. This little boy is going to lose his dad. The next day, his daddy is going to be speared to death. And you can't think, you can't help but think, don't go, stop, don't do that. Don't put your life out there. Don't do this. Right before the events happened, right before they made their way across the river into, the, into this, this territory, they radioed back, it's, you know, and kind of said some, we love you's and so on. And at the end of that uh, radio uh, conversation, They sang a hymn together. The last stanza goes like this. We rest in thee, our shield and defender. Thine is the battle. Thine shall be the praise. When passing through the gates of pearly splendor, victors, we rest with thee through endless days. That repeats that. When passing through the gates of splendor, victors, victors, We rest with thee through endless days. Was it a a waste? Was it a waste that these guys would lose their lives on the bank of a river in South America? The world says, yes, that is failure. Now, in this case, we know the rest of the story. We know that the wives of these men went and risked their lives, and they went... After this, they actually went to the very people that killed their husbands, risked their lives, and began to share the gospel with them. And today, it's, been, it's over 60 years ago now, there's hundreds, hundreds of Akka Christians who praise the name of Jesus. Was it a failure? Now, let me ask you this. If we didn't know the rest of the story, and if those guys had just died would that have been a failure or maybe like many uh missionaries there's there's countless stories of missionaries particularly when the, the first wave of what they call the modern missionary movement in the 1800s uh began to sail across the ocean to take the gospel to people that have never heard the name of Jesus before and many of them never made it to the mission field Many of them gave up careers, gave up family, gave up wealth so that they could sail across the sea and never even make it to where they're going. Is that a waste? Is that a failure? What is failure? But here's the thing. I'm going to land here. Did you know that the world's greatest failure, according to the world, was God's greatest victory. Do you know that? That Though the enemy and though the world thought they had won by putting to death the Son of God, God, in that moment, was securing the greatest victory. Here's, I think, the most beautiful, most unique, amazing part of Christianity, and it's unlike any other religion, is that it's through suffering, through death, through sacrifice, we find victory we find life no other religion talks about that and it's through the brokenness and the sorrows and the disappointments and the 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 failures of this life God is using to shape you and to make you more and more like his son Jesus and like we saw a few weeks ago It is, as we see in Corinthians, it is shaping for you an eternal weight of glory that can't even be compared with. Jesus came showing us a new definition for failure, a new definition for success. And if we are laying our lives on the successes of this world, that is a failure what is a failure in this life is that you would, and I've talked about this with parents as a, you know, when I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for well over a decade and I would have conversations with parents. I'm like, listen, cause they would be talking about, you know, getting their kids to behave well and making sure they go to the right colleges. I'm like, listen, are, if your kid lives a, 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 a easy, carefully life has the perfect house with the two and a half kids the you know the the dog the white picket fence and the nice minivan with the with the TV in the back and all that stuff you know and, all, and your kids and the, you know and they have this awesome life they have, they make great money and they live in Eagle Landing or Oakleaf and they have this great leisurely perfect little life and they die and they go to hell is that a good thing no. Jesus says, if you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. Let us redefine what success is. Let us redefine what failure is. And the good news is that the greatest defeat of the world was actually the greatest victory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you um, for the reality that you... um, Defeated, the powers of this world and the enemy through failure, through the death on the cross, and so Father, I pray that You would help us to redefine uh, what it, what success in our lives are, and then when when suffering comes, when sorrow comes, or when or we when we reflect back on things that that it wouldn't brood into bitterness or despair, but Father, that it would that we would have hope. And that we would, as we saw earlier, that we would rejoice in our sufferings because we know you are every one of those will be for good. So help us to embrace the suffering. Help us to embrace the shaping that you are doing of us. And so, Father, help us to, to redefine success and redefine faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so, every week.